hand that at everybody. All right, but, but I can't go into this new series until I close out this old one. And uh, I was going to be talking to you today about Moses, actually. And I was going to teach you five questions builders should ask. But one of the things you're going to learn about your past is that I changed my mind a lot. And uh, this week, man, uh, I think it was divine. It was almost serendipitously. I, I started thinking about Noah and doing some research, and I saw something, and I said, man, Every builder need this in their toolbox. And I can't. It would be pastoral malpractice if I didn't share with you this one thing I saw that I think is a game changer. So we're going back to Noah today, guys. Uh, the book of Genesis chapter number six. I'm going to read one verse in verse. It's verse number eight. Genesis chapter six, verse number eight. How y'all feeling today? It's still somebody tell me, is it going to warm up here or what in Atlanta? This what it is right here? My God. All right. Okay. All right. I was waiting on somebody to tell me it's going on, but it was like on the front row. Nope. Mm -mm, this is it. This is this what you get. All right. Okay. Um, Genesis chapter six, verse eight. I'm going to see how many people are paying attention. I'm going to see how many people are on fire this morning. Watch this. Here's the, here's the text. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to try that one more time, Tario. I don't think they heard what I just said. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want to talk from this subject, family, in our time together as we conclude this Unbuilding Something series, the favor factor. The favor. Clap your hands if you're ready to receive God's word. The favor factor. On today, we're going to be concluding this series of sermons I've affectionately entitled, I'm Building Something. And this sermon series, ladies and gentlemen, rests on this revelation that I shared with you in week one that warrants repeating. And it is simply this for everybody that will say, amen, God has plans for you. <laughs> and when I say that, I know that sounds like religious rhetoric. That's something you're supposed to say in church. I know it may sound like a church colloquialism. It's a, it's a filler that we just throw out. But I want you to know that I am saying this with conviction. I'm saying this with confidence because I read my Bible. And when I was reading my Bible, I came across something that God said through a gentleman named Jeremiah to God's people that I believe includes and is relevant for you and me. In Jeremiah 29, 11, this is what God says. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Watch this. He does not go into detail about what the plans are, but he does get specific regarding what the plans are like. He says the plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. Come on, church. He says what you need to know is you may not know every detail. You may not like every dynamic. You may not be in on every nook and cranny, every nut and bolt, but what you need to know is... 
when I get through doing for you what I plan to do for you, you will be better off on the back end than you were on the front end. My plan is to prosper you. So if you have not hit the season of your life that you can call prospering, you need to know you have not got to the place where I'm finished doing what I'm getting ready to do. Because when my plan becomes your reality, the word you will use to respond to people when they ask how you're doing is a word called better. Somebody say prosper. He says, he says, I got plans to prosper you. Listen to this. Not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's extremely important yet often overlooked. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Somebody say hope. hope. Yeah. Hope. Hope. Hope, Jurgen Moltmann says, hope is simply expectation. Moltmann says, watch this, that faith and hope are distinctive, but they're not separate. He says that hope is faith cousin. He says you don't get one without getting the other. He says faith is when you believe what God says is true. He says hope is when you anxiously anticipate him bringing that truth to pass. Faith believes he can do it. Hope wakes up and say today might be the day that he doesn't. I want to know is there anybody in this room, anybody online that will, that will admit I got more than faith. I got some hope. I've got some expectation. I believe that any day now God can do just what he said. He says I got plans to give you a hope and a future. Why is he articulating this? It's because hopelessness is the premature anticipation of the non-fulfillment of the promises of God. It is when somebody prematurely anticipates that God won't do what he said because he hasn't done what he said. But just because he hasn't done what he said doesn't mean he won't do what he said because he is clear in communicating he's not a man that he should lie he's not the son of man that he would change his mind if he said he's going to make it happen he will make it happen watch this and it may not happen according to your timetable but just because it's late on your schedule doesn't mean it's late because whenever he shows up it's on time. Do you not remember in John chapter 11, a man named Lazarus had been dead for four days and Jesus's apprentices and disciples said, Jesus, you should have got to him while he was sick. It's too late for you to get to him now. And what Jesus says to them blows my mind. He says, Lazarus ain't dead. Lazarus is sleeping. In other words, he's saying to the disciples, we can be looking at the same thing and not see the same thing. You might be calling it dead, but from my perspective, I'm calling it sleep. And the reason I'm not rushing and responding to the situation in a way that you think I should be rushing and responding to is because I don't see it the way you see it. You feel like he dead. I say he taking a nap. And when I get there, I'm going to wake it up. Whenever I get there, it's on time. 
I don't know who this is for, but I want to talk to somebody who wants to know when is God going to come through on time? When is he going to open the door on time? When is he going to close the deal on time? When is he going to bring into your life what you've been praying for on time? He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. He's an on time God. Yes, he is. I want somebody to praise him right there because he's on time. He says, I got plans to give you a hope and a future. You got to have hope. You got to have an expectation that my current situation is not my permanent condition. The Bible says hope deferred makes your heart sick. That when you don't have an expectation that things are going to progress or evolve or get better, it makes your heart sick, your soul sick, your emotions sick. And so God says through Jeremiah, I got plans for my people and it's to give them a hope and future. But listen to this. We established this also in week one. God's plans are his preferences. What's that mean, Darius? It's what he prefers to do. It's what he wants to do. It's what he's willing to do. It's what he wants for you, but won't force on you. I'm going to say that again. It's what he wants for us, but he will not force on us. The imagery that the Bible uses to describe God is a shepherd, not a pharaoh. A shepherd leads. A pharaoh forces. And God, as a shepherd who leads, not a pharaoh who forces, will let us live on whatever level we settling for. But I just believe I'm talking to a group of people today that are at a season of your life where settling feel like sin. Let me go to this side. I'm not saying settling is sin. But I believe some of you have come to a season in your life where you believe settling is bad stewardship over the potential and the capability that God has given you. And people who do not understand that you're at this place of maturation will misinterpret your agitation as arrogance and cockiness. They begin to misdiagnose the mindset you're in and assume that you feel like you're better than or greater than because you're no longer satisfied with what you used to be satisfied with. Not realizing and recognizing that you just hit a season where God has given you an allergic reaction to average and he's given you an appetite for your potential. And you telling people in this season, if I got to stay stuck for us to be close, I don't know what to tell you. Why do I have to stay stagnant? Why can't you come to the next level with me? He lets you live on whatever level you settle for. It's just like when people say, this religion thing, Pastor Dare, is not working for me. I'm like, it's working for me? It's working great for me. But God lets you live on whatever level of spiritual experiences you settle for. Did you hear what I just said? Oh, come on, we're going to get there. We're going to grow together as a family. We're going to get there. But you walk in the measure of presence you prefer. 
We'll get there. I know we're not there yet, but we're going to get there. So when I talk about the measure of presence, I'm talking about the measure of your experience with the presence of God. It is unlimited, right? He's unlimited. He's an I'm not God. He's unlimited. But the amount of presence I walk in is based on what I prefer. Sometimes before Jesus would even heal people, he would assess their appetite and say, do you want to be made whole? I want to give it to you, but I, I, I won't force it on you if you don't want it. I want the next level for you, but I won't force you there if you don't want it. It's like if you settle for a mediocre mind, that's what you can have. If you settle for a mediocre ministry, that's what you can have. If you settle for a mediocre company, that's what you can have. If you settle for a mediocre marriage, marriage, that's what you can have. But if you believe God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask, think, or imagine, then that's what you can have because he lets you live on whatever level you settle for. His plans are his preferences. And his preferences require our participation. Our participation is an expression of our faith. Does that make sense? So God gives the blueprint for what's possible. We do the building. God gives us clarity regarding what's possible. We do the construction. If I'm making sense, if I'm making sense, wave at me in the room. Put a, give me a waving emoji in the chat, okay? All right, here it is, family. Here it is. This, this, is, this, is, this is so interesting to me. God says we can have it. We say it's time to go get it. Let me say that one more time. Let me give you this analogy. God turns the light green. You decide if you press the gas. Did you hear what I just said? And sometimes we are proverbially sitting at a green light in life. Treating a green light like it's a red light. Not realizing God is saying all I'm going to do is turn the light green. You got to make the decision. It's time to press the gas. And is there anybody watching? Anybody in the room that senses it's your green light season? It's your season to press the gas. Am I making sense, guys? Yes. When we planted this church, God prompted us through impressions and confirmations and data. There was a whole process. There was data that backed up that God was doing something here. There was data and analytics that said, this is your field of favor. But the data and analytics didn't drive the decision. We had the data years before we came here. We had the data when we put a church in Orlando because the data doesn't drive where we put a church. It's not opportunism. It's assignment. So there was data and then there was impressions that God would give me and my wife and dreams and prophetic words and all of that kind of came together collaboratively and we got the green light. But that's all God gave us. Did, am I making sense? We got the green light. 
We were the ones who had to press the gas. We were the ones who said do a change night. We were the ones that said rent out the epicenter. We were the ones that said let's put out fillers and build a team. We were the ones who said let's get a studio in the pandemic. We were the ones who said it's time to find a building. We were the ones, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? All he gave was the green light. We had to press the gas. And whatever he's calling you to do, he gives you the green light. But you have to press the gas. Do I have anybody here? That's all gas, no brakes. I'm just... Do I have anybody here that's tired of talking about what you're going to build? But you're ready to build it. That's tired of praying about what you want to build. But you're ready to build it. And if that's you, there's something a builder in the Bible can teach us. Coach Kelly, I've been in church all my life. I've never seen this like this until this week. There's something, listen to me, there's something this builder in the Bible named Noah taught me I've never seen before. I did a little research, because I'm like, all right, this dude named Noah built the ark. Um, what did he do before that? <laughs> you understand, I just ask questions like that. What did he do before that? I did some research. I found out this man's a farmer, which is, which is how he knew how to plant a vineyard after the flood. I say, wait a minute. This man not even in construction. God tells a farmer to do construction work. Let me see if you catch it. God puts him in a line of work that has nothing to do with his degree. He went to school all those years. Got all those student loans. Wrote all of those papers. Only for God to drop him in a season where his line of work seems to have nothing to do with the field he used to be in. But Noah had enough faith and flexibility not to limit his future self based on his past self. He realized that just because he did farming doesn't mean he was a farmer. Did you hear what I just said? And some people can't step into God's next because they keep identifying themselves by who they used to be and what they used to do. I'm telling you, God wants to introduce you to a version of yourself that has nothing to do with your degree, nothing to do with your experience, nothing to do with your past. Noah may feel like his season of farming was irrelevant, but it wasn't irrelevant. It was education. Did you hear what I just said? Because there were some things that Noah learned in the field that he was able to apply to the ark. See, when you are a farmer, one of the things you learn how to do is you learn how to work with patience. Because you don't sow a seed in one season and reap a harvest in the same season.
but as a farmer you know how to sow a seed and till the ground and water the seed and come back time after time and see nothing and still believe that sooner or later something's going to come to pass and that's the reason Noah could believe it was going to rain even though there wasn't a cloud in the sky that's the reason he was able to keep building the ark when it seems like what he was building wasn't looking like what it was supposed to look like because some, <laughs> some stuff that you feel like you went through that was irrelevant, God's like, no, that was education. I use that to bless you in that season, but all that was was a resource. I'm the source. Don't confuse your field with my blessing. My blessing on you, not on the field. This is why I say you bless when you go in and you bless when you come out. Because the blessing ain't on it, the blessing's on you. And as long as it's on you, it'll be on you in your entrances and it'll be on you in your exits. So when you walk in, how you doing? Blessed. And when you walk out, how you doing? Still blessed. When y'all make up, blessed. When y'all break up, blessed. Because the blessing is on me. So I'm saying, how does this man with no experience have such success on the first time? You're not really good at anything when you do it the first time. So I got to figure this out. Then I did some more research and I, I saw something else. There is no, prior to Noah building an ark, there is no biblical record of anybody else building one. So God is telling Noah to build something he has no point of reference for. He couldn't call nobody. I, I know, I know God's talking to somebody around. I mean, he couldn't pick up the phone and call anybody and say, listen, when you built your ark, um, how did you handle God said, Noah, I'm calling you because I believe you got enough faith to do it without an example. <sighs> Some of us have a Noah-like call. You are looking to find someone who has built what you feel called to build. And you are frustrated and discouraged because you can't find them. And what God wants you to know, you won't find who you're looking for because you're looking for you. God says, I always have to call somebody to do it first. And when you do it first, I'm going to use you to teach other people so you can be to other people what you didn't have. I don't know who this is for, but I believe I'm talking to some people who got the anointing of first on your life. God said, you don't have an example because you're going to be the example. Y'all say, I'm going to let you pull a little bit from here, a little bit from there, a little bit from there. But you won't find one place. Because what you're building don't exist. Yeah. 
God said, you're looking for you. So he said, I'm going to call you to build it and then call you to be to other people what you wish you had. I wish somebody would talk back to me today. He says, I'm going to call you to build it and then prompt you to be to other people what you wish you had. So I'm saying, y'all all right, I got eight minutes. We good? Uh, here it is. <laughs> Say, this is the 1130 pastor. Uh, <laughs> here it is. Here it is, family. This is interesting now. How's a man who has no experience in construction get this right the first time? And some of y'all wired like him. You want it right the first time. Let me see, who gonna get delivered and be honest right now? You'd be so hard, you would be mad at yourself for not some, doing something right. You never even done it before. I should have known how to do that. How? How? So how's a man with no experience get something right the first time that he couldn't afford to get wrong? If he get this wrong, it's a problem. If he get this wrong, it's family affected. Because his family was in the art with him. If he get this wrong, humanity's affected. How did how a man with no experience get that right the first time? How does a man get it right the first time with no examples? I'm like, that's interesting. I saw something. Because we talked about in lesson one, first lesson, we talked about some of the tools you need to build. We talked about you need a saw. Saw in season because when you're building, there's some stuff you got to cut off. You can't wait for other people to get a revelation of what you need. So I, like when I'm in a season where I know I need positivity, I don't wait for negative people to stop being negative. I just start sawing. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, it's like I'm not about to try to convince a negative person to be positive so that their negativity doesn't affect my positivity. I'm going to love you, but I got to saw. I got to set a boundary. Start going negative. All right, praise God. Somebody getting ready to call me. I think somebody... Let me go. My phone is about to ring. I just, I just feel like it's getting ready to <laughs> But a saw couldn't do that. Saul couldn't help him get there right the first time. We talked about a hammer. Where there are seasons where you got to apply pressure. Where you got to do the same thing, but you got to do it harder. But a hammer couldn't help him do that. We talked about a level. There's this seasons where you got to level stuff out. A level couldn't help him do that. We talked about a paintbrush where you can take, make, take an old thing and paint it and make it look new. That God don't have to give you a new thing to do something new. He can do a new thing with an old thing. Make sense? Uh, new marriage, same spouse. 
new company, same business. He can do a new thing with an old thing. Got me? But none of that helped this man get this right the first time. Well, Darius, what was it? Genesis 6, 8. It's the one tool in the toolbox that enabled a man who had no experience in something to get it right the first time. That enabled a man to build something right the first time that had never been built before. And the text puts it this way. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. How did he do it? Did he need a hammer? Yes. Did he need a saw? Yes. Did he need a paintbrush? Yes. Did he need a level? Yes. But can you build all you're supposed to build just with that? No. Because in addition to that, you got to have what Noah had. What did he have, Darius? He had favor. What is that, Darius? That is undeserved, irrational, unexplainable, preferential treatment. It is undeserved, irrational, unexplainable, preferential treatment. It is undeserved, irrational, unexplainable, preferential treatment. It is undeserved. It is irrational. It is unexplainable, preferential treatment. It is undeserved, irrational unexplainable preferential treatment and you want to know why some of us are still sane in the membrane it's because you got some undeserved irrational unexplainable preferential treatment you want to know why you are where you are it's because you got some undeserved irrational unexplainable preferential treatment Wherever you see God using anyone significantly in scripture, it is overtly stated or implicitly implied that they had favor. It's in the Bible. I got two minutes. Can I have three? Here it is. In Esther chapter, let me prove it to you. In Esther chapter number two, verse number 17, it says, now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women she won his favor. Do you see it? Okay. Esther, I'm sure, was a beautiful woman. And the king probably thought it was her beauty alone that was attracting him to her. But he was probably experiencing something that because he was an unbeliever, he didn't have the words to properly label. So he used cultural terms probably to describe a spiritual reality. He probably was like, Esther, it's just something about your energy. Let me go to this side here. <laughs> Esther, something about your, your energy. It's something about your light. You vibe, you vibrating, you you. <laughs> Esther, you you vibrating on a, and Esther's like you have no idea. That's not energy. That's anointing. That's the presence of God on my life. That is undeserved, irrational, unexplainable, preferential treatment. Esther had it. 1 Samuel 2.26 says, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with God and with people. Samuel had it. 
Now watch this, Luke 2, 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. Even Jesus had to have this in his toolbox to accomplish what he had been called to accomplish. Favor is an instrument of providence. What's providence? Providence, synthesis of two words. Pro, video. Pro, before, video, see. So God sees before. So because he sees before, he starts making moves in your now based on what he sees in your next. So some of the stuff you in now don't make sense in your now because he's making chess moves. He's making one move with the next move in mind. And the first move might not make sense. But you need to stay patient because God's going to show you why he's putting you in places he's putting you on the board. So it's an instrument of providence. It is what God uses not to help us acquire possessions. If all we use in favor for is things, you misuse in favor. The purpose of favor is not to acquire possessions. It's to accomplish God's purposes. So because favor is an instrument of God's providence, God doesn't give you favor with everybody you want it with. He only gives you favor with the people you need it with. The Bible didn't say all the other women like Esther. It said the king did. Because favor don't give you with all Favor don't give you favor. God doesn't give you favor with all people. He give you favor with the right people. And some of us are chasing favor with people we don't need it from. If you don't have favor with them, God's not going to use them to do what he wants to do in your life. And some people get discouraged and despondent when it doesn't happen through the person you think it's supposed to happen through. And God's like, I got people I'm going to tap on the shoulder that, that will show you favor that I have assigned for you. He says, I'm going to give you favor with those you need it with. Not those you think you want it with. It's an instrument of providence. It puts you in the right place at the right time. I don't care what success story you've ever heard. Favor's in it somewhere, even if they don't know to call it that. Everyone, everyone is in it. I don't care what it is. I don't care who it is. It could, it, could be an, it could be an artist who happened to be in town when another artist was at a radio station and that artist just happened to go to the radio station and rap or sing for that other artist. The fact that they were in the same city at the same place and you heard about it. They don't know what to call it. But it doesn't matter how talented they were if they're not heard. Favor gets you, I don't know who this is for, but favor gets you heard. Let me speak this over somebody's life. You're about to get heard. You didn't receive what I just said. I said, you're about to get heard. You're about to get seen. You're about to get noticed. You're about to stop being undervalued and underrated and looked over. Favor puts you in the right place at the right time. Favor gets you the attention of the right people. Favor gets you the affection of the right people. I'm done, but I'm a pragmatist. I can't just leave you with the rah, rah, rah. Uh, how, how, many, how many say, I want this in my toolbox? I want this. Like, Lord, I, I got grind. I got hustle. I got skill. 
But how do I increase, Pastor Darius, my measure of favor? Because the text says, and Noah found. Where, where he find it at? I need somebody give me the uh, GPS. Let me. Where he find that at? I want to know where to find it. Do you want to know where to find it? And Noah found favor with God. I want to I know where to find it. So three things here I'm going to share with you really quickly, and we're going to get out of here. Here it is. Number one. Here it is. I want you to how do I find See, you can't earn favor because it's unearned, but you can position yourself to receive it. How do I do that, Pastor Darius? Really quickly, three things. I always, let me tell you my teaching strategy here. I always, when I'm preaching, I give you my points when I'm preaching at the end because I want you emotionally sober when I'm giving you action items. I don't want you shouting when you need to be writing. Right? Hopefully I've stirred your faith to this point. But now when it comes to implementation and execution, you got to be emotionally sober so you can execute. That's why I hold them until the end. So here it is. Number one, how do I position myself for it? Number one, be humble. Let me show you what the Bible says about this. In the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders, all you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the who? What is humility about, Pastor Darius? It's about you being a person God can trust. God loves me, but I want to be a person he can trust. Am I making sense? Because favor isn't, I'll put it this way, favor is fragile. And when God gives it to you and when God gives it to me, we need to be intentional about clothing ourselves in humility so that we can properly manage favor. Gosh, I don't have time. I preach too long. Um, listen to me, guys. You know how in marriage, uh, there's a part of marriage vows that says for better or worse? And I think it can be in marriage. It can be with money. It can be with ministry. It can be with business. I think we underestimate the destructive power of better. Does that make sense? So it's almost like when people say like at the altar for better or worse, they're really saying if the bottom fall out, I'm going to be with you. And I've seen relationships fall apart when the bottom falls out. But on the other side, I've also seen people who never thought they would glow up or blow up, blow up. And I've seen the bottom fall out because of that too. Because most, very few people handle success successfully. We're getting to know each other, but by this time next year, we're really going to be real. Because I'm, I'm, I'll feel comfortable enough to say it like some of this stuff need to be said. Okay, well, since you said it. When you take a person who has limited options they whole life and now all of a sudden they got influence and affluence and they got unlimited options the average person can't handle that 
Because integrity is revealed when you got options. Is that too real? Huh? Is that not? No, integrity is revealed when you got options. When you with, when you with somebody and you had nothing. And then God bless you with everything. And you still look at the one and say that, that was with you when you had nothing and say, you're still the only one for me. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. When there are options. When people who have never had influence or power over people or who have always been on the wrong side of power, then all of a sudden favor gives them power. Without humility, they won't manage it properly. Do you know how easy it is to manipulate people's trust? Without humility, you won't manage that. God says, but when you humble, I can trust that whatever I give you, you'll never forget who gave it to you. And you'll never forget why I gave that to you. Y'all want to know what I think about losing the most? Like what I fight for the most? What keep me up at night, metaphorically, not literally, as a pastor? Is when I think about how many people trust me. I guard that. My traveling assistants are here. This man right here will tell you, if we're traveling and speaking, it's, it's a, he walked me to my room. He waiting on me outside my room. Not because I need that so I don't do nothing crazy. If I need that because I don't do nothing crazy, I need prayer. That's, that's like, fam, you can't walk to your room? Like, what? What are we doing? But what do we talk about? Optics. I don't even want it to look like I'm hopping off an elevator. Y'all not see. I don't even want it. I don't even want coincidentally it to look like. Why? Because people trust me. to steward that. Be humble. Number two, be helpful. God's like, I'm going to put you in rooms you never thought you'd be in. When you get, on there, get in there, please don't close the door and lock it and never let anybody else in. Don't let the wrong people in. but be helpful. Here's this last one. We don't talk about this a lot anymore. I don't mean this in a religious or legalistic sense. I do mean it religiously, not legalistically, but holy. Be holy. 
you know, when you really look at the way the Bible describes holiness, it's like just be a good human. Like it's not perfection, but it's just like tell the truth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't swindle people. Don't manipulate people. He said, because if you're willing to be humble, if you're willing to be helpful, and if you're willing to be holy, not perfect, but striving for integrity, wholeness, I can trust you with favor. And the favor tool in your tool belt outweighs any other tool. It's the factor that's going to make the difference. And I'm telling you right now, I believe the Holy Spirit puts this on my heart because he want to increase this in your life. Because some of us got enough of everything else but this. And when you got this, it outweighs everything else. The favor of God. Father, I pray right now for every builder watching me, every builder in this room. And I pray that, glory, I pray that they'd experience an increase and an outpouring of the undeserved, irrational, unexplainable preferential treatment that you give your people. I pray for it over our children in school. Favor is on them. I pray for it on us at work. Favor is on us. I pray for it over those that are sick and in hospitals. Favor on them. And as we properly steward the gift of favor you've given us, may it be said of us as it was said of the early church, these are they that have turned the world upside down. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands, everybody. You glad you came to church today?